everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, Jen Hatmaker here. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. Glad you are here. Glad you are enjoying this series because I totally am too. We are right in the middle of For the Love of Powerhouse Women, which is exactly what it sounds like. I mean, this is just your weekly dose of inspiration, honestly, like just talking to these women and what they've learned, what they've learned from failure, um, what they've learned from success, what they're building, what they're dreaming. I mean, this puts so much gas in my tank. I cannot even tell you. So my next guest is someone who, well, despite failure, which we're going to talk about getting fired back to back jobs, um, setbacks, fatigue, she just doesn't stop. And she refuses um, to sit on the sidelines and not learn from it all and use it for forward momentum. So she's just this force, um, and how to dig deep and keep going. And so by anybody's definition, New Zealander, Sarah Rob O'Hagan is just a winner. She is a winning force. She's a leader, entrepreneur, activist, motivational speaker, author, athlete, movement starter, frankly, um, to be sure, she has had a glittering career in a few companies you maybe have heard of. Um, let's see, Atari, Nike, Apple. Um, she has served as the president of Gatorade, um, which she completely turned the entire brand around. We'll talk about that a little bit. And people were praising her, obviously, as she repositioned this global brand in a super successful way. And she even felt complicated around that, which we'll also unpack. She's um, been the president of Equinox, which is this luxury fitness company. In fact, she was so effective in that role that she landed a top spot on Forbes most powerful women in sports list. So she's no joke. Um, She has been the CEO of Flywheel Sports, this crazy good indoor cycling company. Um, And now she's building this incredible brand around her book, Extreme You, which um, I love the tools she is putting out into the world. She lives with her husband and her three kids in New York City. Um, So obviously when you listen to Sarah's accomplishments, it's easy to think that her trajectory just was a straight shot upward, Um, but it really wasn't. It was twisty and it was turny. And I appreciate her candor um, to talk about um, every single place where the road zigged when she thought it was going to zag. Um, And we'll end up talking about her um, book Extreme You. And so she is also just delightful. Like you're going to love this. Well, of course she's got her beautiful accent. I told you she's from New Zealand, but also she laughs a lot and her voice is just bright and shiny and light. And I just really enjoyed her. Like I, at several points um, during this interview, I was thinking, gosh, I wish she was just in the room with me. Like I wish she was in my office and we were having this discussion over like a glass of rosé, which she said was her favorite summer thing, and sitting on the couch. Anyway, you're really, really going to like her. And I'm really excited to introduce you to her work if you don't already know it. Um, This is a good one, you guys. So very happy to welcome to the show today, Sarah Rob O'Hagan. I am absolutely thrilled to have you on the show today, Sarah. Thank you so much for making time for this. 
Hey, Jen, it's awesome. Love what you're doing here. Um, no, you're awesome. And I love what you're doing. You are just out there killing it. It's what you're doing. You're slaying at life. I love everything that you have put your hand to. I am, I'm really inspired by you. I cannot wait for my listeners to get to hear you talk a little bit today. So I've told them a little bit about who you are and what you do. Um, but I would love to learn a little bit more at first about, how you sort of charted your path to the very impressive and accomplished Sarah that you are today. Will you tell us just a little bit about growing up in in New Zealand? Like what kind of a kid were you? Were you a ride my bike everywhere sporty type like you are now? Were you a book kid? Like what, how were you as in childhood? Um, Did you have any idea back then or any signs that this would kind of be your path? Oh my gosh, no, not at all. (laughs) Um, I would say, I love that question. Are you a ride your bike kid? Definitely. Like um, I come, I come from a very, very small town of 300,000 people. And uh, so we rode our bikes everywhere and uh, played lots of sports for sure. But I actually was probably more known as a musical student as a child and um, I did a lot of music and a lot of sports and I was very average at all of them. And so I don't <laughs> think I ever really felt like I was going to thrive anywhere, you know, and yes. funny how little by little those pieces come together and they all add up. But certainly as a child, I didn't sort of have any of the early signs of success, I wouldn't have said. Um, I was exactly like that. I was a skinny <laughs> bike, tree climbing yeah. type of kid. I was I, that's so so familiar. Um, <laughs> I I wonder I wonder who you're like. Who were your early heroes when you were a kid? Who did you admire? Who did you watch? Like who did you love from afar? Yeah. Um, so this is funny. I bet you can relate to this too. <laughs> I um actually was like obsessed with Tina Turner and that was my favorite. sure I was like I want to be Tina Turner I want to fill stadiums and be a rock star that looks amazing sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, but so people like that I think who were sort of you know bold women I suppose in the world that were really like making a big statement mm-hmm. in an um, unexpected way definitely appealed to me Um, And I was just, you know, I was always very sporty so that, you know, I followed a lot of sporting of our local sporting heroes at home in New Zealand. Oh, yeah, me too. I was raised, I'm the oldest of four kids and we had a sports dad. Oh, yeah. And so it was like you either love sports, love watching it, talking about them, playing them, discussing them and obsessing about them, or you just need to find a new family. Exactly. You don't get the option not to. I love that. That's exactly right. So, okay. Obviously, uh, we can all pretty much remember our first jobs. Um, It's some combination of both exhilaration and anxiety. It's hard to erase from our memories. Um, I, this part, I just kind of, uh, I love about your early years. Will you talk a little bit about some of your first jobs? Um, And even back then, as you were sort of a young adult, what did you discover that you were liking about work? What did you discover that you did not enjoy at all? Um, Like at what point did you hit on something within a job and think, oh, this, like, this is, this is what I like. This is what I'm good at. This is like making me come to life. Yeah. Well, I will tell you a funny story. One of my 
first, not first jobs, but sort of teenage jobs was I was working in a clothing store called Esprit. I think it still exists. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, when you are a sales assistant in a store like that, it's incredibly regimented. Like we used to have to play exactly the music on tapes that they sent us for the ambient sound of the store. And we used to have to fold the shirts exactly correctly and blah, blah, blah. And um, I can remember one weekend when me and two of the other shop assistants were super naughty. We're like, enough of this. We're going to put our own music on. And we're having this epic dance party in the store when the regional manager comes by to check on us. Of course. (laughs) And needless to say, we were in a lot of trouble. And it was funny because I do remember one of my first proper jobs post-university when I started, I was a marketing intern in an airline. And the first time I had a project where they, you know, allowed me to sort of figure it out for myself, I realized, ooh, like I'm one of these people, I don't like being put in a box and having to Mm. play by exact rules, you know, like I like to break out and be creative and and have fun. And so when I compare and contrast those two experiences, I think, you know, it really was clear to me that I guess how I landed on the marketing track because it just was a place where you could sort of be in a sandbox and explore a little bit. One thing that I love about you and about your story is how candid you have been um, about your early experiences. Um, Specifically, you talk really frankly about being fired from a couple of mm-hmm. jobs, which, you know, mm-hmm. for some people can just be a confidence record. It just feels like a game ender. Um, yep. but it really wasn't for you. Like how I, I'm curious how long it took you to get to a place where you were able to objectively ex- assess, you know, why you were fired and how to get back in the game and what you learned, um, from that season. Can you just sort of talk about all of that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so yes, I have been fired twice, actually back to back in two jobs in my late 20s, which, you know, for anyone in their late 20s, that's a time when you're really trying to get your career going. And it was pretty devastating, obviously, at the time. And it's funny because um, the reason I do talk so openly about it is there's such a stigma about being fired or people feel like there's a real stigma and you have to cover it up on your resume and you should be sort of mortified about it. But in actual fact, as you just said, it's so much more common than you realize. And when you actually realize that you're part of a club of a ton of people, it actually helps you understand that it's, it's a normal part of sort of career development. And sometimes it's, you know, nothing to do with you. If a company is downsizing, you've got absolutely nothing to do with it. Other times like me, I was really just not a good fit not playing to my best, not being a good employee, and I deserved to get fired. And and those are both really good learning experiences because you do have to dig deep and get through them. But to answer your question, I would say actually the the fear of getting fired is a hell of a lot worse than the actual reality because when mm. it does happen, you actually don't have much choice than to figure out how to get yeah. another job and move forward. And you know, in my case, I would say, particularly the first time when, you know, I literally was singled out and fired, it probably took me, I'd say, a good four weeks of mm. licking my wounds before I fully acknowledged my role, <laughs> what had happened. But yeah. once you do that, you know, you, you have no choice but to start moving forward. And there's the single best thing that helps you get over it. It's like getting back on the horse is finding another mm. role and starting to 
you know, feel like you're getting momentum again. So that's a great, that's just a great word in general, in life, almost, Mm. almost with no exceptions, the fear of a thing can be worse than it actually happening. Just the the anticipation and the anxiety around it. And then you realize, you know, when you lose two jobs back to back, what you're made of and what you're capable of and how to stand back up. And you did it with wild success. I mean, absolutely like rare air, honestly. Hey guys. So, all right. You've heard me say over and over, I'm sick of the word diet and I am, I don't like what it's done to the way we feel about ourselves. I really, really am learning and want to nurture my body in healthy ways. And so one of the coolest tools that I have found is called Noom. This is different than anything that I've approached before. Noom is this, it's more like a habit changing solution and it helps you learn to develop a new relationship with food with sort of an intentional practice of about 10 minutes a day. I mean, it's so doable. It's so accessible. With Noom, you get to work with a goals specialist. So it's a real live person who helps you get from where you are today to really just achieve your healthiest self. And that is their goal. And here's what I love about Noom. They don't call any food good or bad or off limits. Noom just reminds us how to nurture ourselves with moderation. And so they help create healthy habits for a lifetime without any of this weird shame elimination, never always stuff, right? So I'm, I'm actually getting ready to start my own plan with Noom. So come along with me. You're going to hear me talk about this more and more. So Noom is giving my listeners a pretty special trial offer. So to sign up, go to Noom, that's N-O-O-M, M is in mom, N-O-O-M, Noom.com slash for the love. Okay. So it's Noom.com slash for the love, and you get a pretty cool trial offer. Um, so you can find out too, how to just change your relationship with food forever into a healthy head and heart and body space. So it's noom.com slash for the love. One thing that you talk about just with a great deal of capacity is this idea about fear. Mm -hmm. I wonder in your, in your opinion, how do you think fear threatens our ability to succeed? And I wonder if you could share a time when maybe fear fear showed up in your life and how you confronted it just, just so you could move forward and kind of conquer it. Yeah, no, it's funny. I, I spent a lot of time, I've spent a lot of time studying fear and talking about fear because Actually, uh, the the statistics would say every generation from the boomers through Gen X through the millennials through Gen Z have become statistically more fearful of failing mm. and more unlikely to take risks because of a fear of failing. Mm. And it's a real problem because the only way you're going to really reach your own potential is by swinging hard and taking those risks. And sure. whether you succeed or fail, actually, you learn as much in both circumstances. And so- totally. I don't think that I could have articulated that, you know, earlier in my life, but I think when I was facing fears, like I remember um, when I made the decision to leave Nike and move to Gatorade, which was 
essentially going from being on a really good career trajectory to a very uncertain, you know, this is a business that needed a turnaround and I, it was so many things that could have gone wrong and it was really scary. But in the end, I was like, you know, if you don't, I kind of knew what the, the, the solid path behind me was. And if you don't explore and try, you'll never know. And it was kind of like <laughs> tapping into my own sense of like, if not me, then who? And almost like turning it into a bit of a competitive um, attitude to really just say, I want to take this because if not, if I don't, someone else will, and I'll be really jealous. <laughs> mm, exactly. That's such a great point. Um, and you're also right that, Failure has absolutely been one of my best teachers. And so if all we ever did was try to avoid it, you know, we really would never reach our full potential. That's just true. I don't know if this is because the way the world works right now is such a curated version of itself. Uh, you know, what mm-hmm. it is people selectively choose to put in public and and for kind of a watching world um, that makes us paralyzed and mm-hmm. unable to take risks. Uh, yep. But that's not been the story behind any successful person. Any. Totally. 100%. They're, they're, yeah. Yes, uh, uh, like without exception. Um, obviously, it's no secret that we live in a world of instant gratification right now. But in business, um, usually, typically, with a handful of rare exceptions, we, we have to play the long game and wait for results. Kind of like going back to what you just said about going to Gatorade, which you were going to almost start in negative space. I mean, it was going to take a minute, um, to pull everything up by its bootstraps. And so when we're slogging through this, through a long season, how, how would you advise us to, to keep ourselves from Mm -hmm. drowning in second guessing our decisions? Cause there had Mm -hmm. to have been a moment again, just to use your example, there had to have been an early moment, maybe, maybe at Gatorade that you thought, why did I just leave Nike? Like what <laughs> in the world have I done? This is a success is never instant. You never turn a ship around on a dime. Um, and so both, how did you hold steady and how would you suggest we all hold steady when we're waiting for something to catch traction? Yeah, it's a very great question. And I will tell you a funny story for my answer. So when I was um, leading the turnaround of Gatorade, which you know, most of your listeners, I'm sure, know what Gatorade is. It's a $5 billion business, and it was um, in, you know, deep decline. And my team and I were having to have the tough effort of turning it around. And when you turn around a business like that, it is literally the most stressful, hard, yeah. like, day-in, day-out grind that I can possibly imagine with all sorts of eyes watching you, judging you, second-guessing you, all of the above. And I can remember having so many moments personally of like, what am I doing? Like, is this ever going to work? Have I made the wrong decision? Should I skip and go somewhere else? You know, all of the above. And I had a wonderful boss, Massimo was his name, Italian man, who I remember one time in a moment of just sheer exhaustion going, I can't do this anymore. And he told me about this great Italian, like, I guess, fable, and it was all about these people crossing the river. And he said, basically, when you're halfway across the river, it's as hard to get back to the side as it is to get across the other side. So you may as well just keep going. And I was like, oh, that's you're good. Right. It's, such a good, it's such a good metaphor. Like, yes. Because it's true. I, I do think for people, especially the younger generations who we all know, you know, highly, much more likely to 
skip and jump in roles, particularly because it's such a good economy right now. And the reality is if you don't stick with something that, you know, pushes you into a little adversity, it's hard mm. to sort of develop the depth of skills that you're going to need, you know, when you're a leader later in your career. So I do think like giving yourself that sort of, you know, talk in the mirror of it's better for me to stick with it is, is an important step to take. Mm, I love that story. I'm not going to forget that. Um, <laughs> You know, a lot of us, when we think about the corporate world, the world that you are in and have been in for a long time, we have an an idea that it's this very cutthroat, you know, everyone for themselves, super competitive environment. Um, And especially for women. I mean, it's, it's no secret that there are not enough women at high levels of leadership, really across the board. Um, That is, that is a place that is um, just still male dominated more, more than it isn't. And so, um, even especially among women at high levels like you, women CEOs and, um, high level women in leadership, um, how do you remember or how have you learned that someone else's success is not a threat to your own? I'm, I'm curious what you have discovered it takes um, as a leader to foster a, a true supportive team building attitude in the workplace, um, without feeling, um, insecure or inferior or always in competition with one another. Mm. It's a very interesting question because it's funny. Like, I don't know if I've just been lucky with the women that I have worked with because you hear a lot of these stories of really difficult relationships between women and perhaps the generation even before mine, where it was kind of like it was one seat at the table and women would fight each other to get to it. (laughs) And it's certainly not been my experience. And I don't know if it's because I had predominantly been in the sports and fitness industry where a lot of us grew up playing sports and therefore having that just deep understanding of the need to, to pass the ball and lots of people on the team will do better than one individual trying to be heroic. So Um, But I think in the end, it's one of the things I've really enjoyed watching in the last kind of three to five years, um, particularly as the women's movement in corporate America is really exploding, is that women have really realized that we simply are not going to reach our potential and close the leadership gap if we don't really, really help pull each other up. And that's right. It's really been, I've, I've noticed a marked change in the way, like to give a simple example, like obviously even at my level, I have friends who, you know, when a, a high level recruiter calls with a big job opportunity, we all share it with each other. It's great. <laughs> we're equally qualified because in the end, it's like, it actually doesn't matter who gets the job, but we need one of us to get it. And it can't oh, be so good. a woman. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know? Um, I yeah. absolutely believe that. I believe that in my industry as well, that um, that that a, a rising tide lifts every boat in the harbor. And that is really, really true. And uh, and there is enough. There really is enough to go yes. around. There's no scarcity of business or positions or leadership. And so um, I love the idea of like, whichever one of us gets it, just let it be one of us. That's fabulous. 100%. Like, let's make it happen. And you are right that there's not only there's a lot to go around, but there's 
the pipeline of us, like there's there's just not nearly enough women to fit all these roles. So we've just got to get as many of us moving fast through as we can. That's great. Hey everybody, Jen breaking in for just a second. I am, as you know, a huge advocate for counseling and feel like sometimes we just need a little guidance from a trusted source who can help us look at things objectively and find a way forward. So BetterHelp Counseling, it's an online resource that offers licensed professional counselors and they're specialized in issues like depression and stress, anxiety, relationships, family conflicts, grief, honestly, you name it so much more. Um, You can connect with a professional counselor in a safe, private, absolutely confidential online environment. Uh, You can even schedule secure video or phone sessions or chats or texts with your therapist. And so best of all, it is truly affordable, which hinders a lot of us from good counseling. And so for you guys, the listeners of the For the Love podcast, BetterHelp is giving you 10% off your first month with the discount code for the love. So if you're needing a little help getting to that good change in your life, go to betterhelp.com slash for the love. Okay. So one more time, betterhelp.com slash for the love using the code for the love. Okay. Back to our show. Your book, Extreme You, has been out in the world for a couple of years. The book is amazing. It's it's a it's an amazing kick in the pants. Um, yeah. Can you tell my listeners uh, essentially what the book was about and then why you wrote it? Yeah, so I'll start with why I wrote it. It's a it it opens with the story of why I wrote it. I was <clears throat> after I had successfully kind of come off leading the turnaround of Gatorade, which not surprisingly, there was tons of media and all these great stories. And I was very, very honored to, you know, receive a few awards here and there. And and I suddenly noticed everywhere I was written about in the press, it would just say that I was this total success story. And I, I just felt very, very uncomfortable because in my mind's eye, my entire sort of life had been littered with failure and, sure. and embarrassments and screw ups. And I was like, Gosh, if that's the story that we're telling young people, how on earth are they supposed to recognize that they can actually take risks and fail on the way to reaching their potential? So it sort of led me through this long um, process of exploration of understanding, like, why had our culture shifted to do that? And it really has happened. And it's very connected to what you just mentioned of the perfect Instagram culture and the perfect LinkedIn culture and and. So it led me to want to write a book about, you know, I've in the book interviewed 25 incredibly successful people from very, very different walks of life, very different industries. And what I wanted to do was hear their stories and sort of put it into a framework that anybody could apply to themselves. And not surprisingly, these are people that we all look up to that you hear these wonderful stories of not knowing which direction they were going, failing and rebounding. <laughs> yep, exactly. um, and essentially, I think, you know, the book ended up, I, it was a delightful experience to hear some of these wonderful stories from these people, but it made me realize that, gosh, everybody has so much potential in them if we would just give 
young people the opportunity to to make a few mistakes along the way and recognize mm. that's part of growing up. Mm. I, I appreciate you saying that so much. I also care deeply about the next generation and mentoring them in healthy and um, reasonable and wonderful ways. And I love that you have a heart for them as well. You could have easily said, I learned the hard way and so should you. You could have said that. Um, do you have, what is it in you? Why, why is it important to you to reach back and help this next generation reach their fullest potential? Why does that matter to you? Why does that matter to me? Um, well, I would say, first of all, selfishly, I get incredibly energized by seeing other people reach their potential. Like it's always been my greatest joy in business actually is, is leadership part. And, you know, seeing someone who didn't even know that they were capable of getting to a certain level, get there, it just really, really fires me up. Mm. And so that is something I just love doing. But I think secondly, the longer I have been on this journey, the more um, concerned I have become about just the incredible lack of diversity at the top of the corporate world, at the top yeah. of government, everywhere. And you know what? If if we don't make an effort to really bring forward people of all different backgrounds and, you know, diverse yeah. perspectives, we're never going to change what, what it looks like at the top. So I, I very mm. passionately care about it. And I kind of was like, what can I do to do <laughs> my little bit mm. to try and really? Oh, that you're singing my song. I, um, I just, I couldn't agree with you more. I was so encouraged and excited. Like just for example, in the midterms here, um, mm -hmm. recently mm -hmm. to see what well, in my lifetime, I've never seen such diversity, um, of candidates who are running and being elected to their offices and across race and ethnicity. And of course, obviously gender and sexual orientation. And I just thought we're on our way. Like if yep. we are able to both elect, hire, promote um, a greater diversity of people, really, that is, it, we all win. We oh, all win. Cool. I mean, when we only have one basic type of voice and leadership um, at the top, then we're we're operating at 30% capacity at best. Oh, and so cool. it's exciting. It's exciting to think about the future. And what can happen um, if everybody sort of catches this fever mm -hmm. and even just affects the little worlds they're in? I mean, who are you hiring? Who are you promoting? Who are you working with? Who are you collaborating with? It starts small, but really has huge potential to ripple out um, and change the way that we value people and respect them and elect them. So I want to, sorry, I took a tangent. You made me take a tangent. <laughs> I just got really excited by what you said. Oh, sorry. If you hit my right button, there it goes. Um, so your title is Extreme You, which I like because it just it just gets me right between the eyes. Um, and I'm kind of an extreme personality. Uh, so I, I love the imagery that you um, conjure when you use that title. So obviously nobody can be in beast mode all the time. So occasionally yeah. we need to sort of step back, step down, check in with ourselves, sort of have a self-assessment. Are we doing okay? I'm curious in your life, because you have a high octane life, um, mm. high responsibility, high risk, um, high capacity, um, high impact. You know, you're, you've got your foot on the gas in some really big rooms. 
Mm-hmm. And so what are some of your practices that keep you grounded, that keep your heart open, um, that keep you like gentle with yourself and with others? That's a great question. I'm- I would say that I learned the hard way um, throughout my life what happens when you don't, um, you know, put yourself first and really focus on self-care. And very specifically, actually, when I had my third child, when Gabby was just born, which was smack in the middle of when I was leading the Gatorade turnaround, um, you know, I stopped working out and I just didn't have time to get to anything. I had three young children at home and I had the most stressful job on the planet and and fell into a deep depression and a lot of things went wrong. And I just learned the really hard way that you have to take the time for yourself because what is that saying? Put your oxygen mask on first before you try and help everyone else. And as a result, now I'm, I'm very disciplined about like taking the time for the things that fill my cup. And that could be obviously a lot with my family is a huge piece, but it's friends. It's like, I'd make a lot of effort to spend time with people. I just love and care for that. I know will really energize me. And often friends who are outside of the scope of what you do day to day can bring such wonderful perspective. Like when you're really stressing Mm -hmm. over a business issue or a relationship, and it just feels like your whole world is you know, taken up with this issue and then you can hang out with someone who has a completely different um, occupation and realize that your worries are so not that important, you know? <laughs> totally. I'm, I'm with you. The, the people in my life are that that's my anchor at all times in all seasons. And I can usually chart how I am doing emotionally with how connected or disconnected I am with yeah. my closest people, those arc together for better or for worse. Yeah. Um, and I, I think connectedness is the antidote to what actually ails most of us. And so I, I agree with you completely. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing now, what your work looks mm. like now, what you're excited about, what you're putting out in the world, what you're creating Mm, yeah, well, I actually uh, stepped down from my last role at the end of last year and uh, decided I want to take some time this year because obviously you've talked about my book and I've now turned it into um, experiences and programs because I was like, how do I take a book and actually help people really apply the material to themselves? And so it's been a lot of fun actually doing you know workshops and corporate training programs and then we actually yeah. just kicked off a really fun one this week which is a six-week uh challenge that includes nutrition fitness and personal coaching around like how to, yeah <laughs> it's a lot of fun actually and so I'm sort of experimenting with how does one's physical strength and empowerment really drive one's mental strength and empowerment and yeah. uh and yeah, so I'm learning and trying to get more people into the tribe of finding their best self, really. That's so great. Who's joining that? Who who are you finding um, is is interested in, in building this kind of community? Is it all it, kinds of yeah, people? It's really interesting. I mean, the first thing I'll say is, which actually frustrates me, is it's predominantly women. And when I say frustrates me, obviously I love helping women. Sure. But one of the things that I find frustrating as a female leader is that for some reason the world thinks it's perfectly normal for women to take leadership classes from men 
but yeah. men don't seem to think it's the yep. right thing to follow women. It's like you might learn something. But right. um, but in actual fact, in this case, uh, we have got some amazing men in the program, and it's been a very wide range, like from, you know, I have one guy whose goal in life is to climb Everest through to a wonderful woman who you know, is trying to get back into exercise for the first time in many, many, many years and, Mm. you know, all everything in between. And it's actually what's been really special about it is that we all have such different lifestyles and goals, yet you can really help one another along when you're, when you're sort of as a community trying to achieve them together. So Mm, that's fabulous. If people are interested in joining the summer challenge or seeing Mm -hmm. more about the resources that you're building right now for implementation, where would they go? Um, yeah, extremeu.com is everything is there. And obviously uh, you can also follow me on all the expected social platforms. So yeah, please come and check it out because we're having a lot of fun and we just kicked off this summer challenge program, but we are definitely doing one in the fall and you can do it from wherever you are in the world, which is really cool. So definitely we want to have more of your listeners get involved. Oh, yeah. We'll absolutely link it over on the transcript, everybody, so you can find everything Sarah-related, like in one-stop shop. Hey, everybody. I have talked to you before about a particular shopping trip that brings dread and angst to most of us, which is bra shopping. Figuring out your size, whether you need padding or underwire or what kind of neckline and fabrics. I mean, honestly, I usually just pick one off the rack until I found Third Love, a fabulous online service that takes all the dread out of bra shopping. So, Third Love is awesome because it uses these data points generated by literally millions of women who have taken their fit finder quiz, which I've done, of course, it it just takes a couple of minutes. So they take your info and they match you with a bra design that considers breast size and shape for a really perfect fit. I mean, honestly, like a premium feel. And I, I mean, I can tell you my experience. They were exactly spot on. I probably have six now. They have 70 sizes. I mean, you cannot go wrong. Third Love all even has half sizes. And this is awesome too. Every single customer has 60 days to try out their bra. And if you don't like it for any reason, you can return it and Third Love will wash it and donate it. So I love that. So right now, Third Love is offering my listeners 15% off your entire first order. So here's what you do. Go to thirdlove.com dot com slash for the love to get your perfect fitting bra from the comfort of your own home and 15% off your first purchase. So it's thirdlove.com for the love for 15% off today. Okay, you guys back to our show. Okay, Sarah, quick wrap up. Mm-hmm. Um, we are in the middle of a series called powerhouse women, which is obviously mm-hmm. where you fit perfectly. Um, <laughs> and so we're asking all the women in this series, these questions and just kind of top of your head. Here's the first one. What is something that a woman that you admire has taught you that you've never forgotten? I would say, um, my mother, um, so when she was actually about my age, so close to 50, having not had any tertiary education, 
she literally went back to college and started over and got herself actually a master's and then went on to have a wonderful career. And I think she taught me that you are never too old to get started. (laughs) That gave me goosebumps. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. Gosh, I love that. Okay, how about this? What is your greatest hope for the generation of women coming behind us? Gosh, um, my greatest hope is that they all get in there, reach their potential, get into leadership roles and change the things that matter Mm. in the corporate world and in government in the Western world, because I truly, truly believe that it is going to take a lot of women at the highest levels to fix the environment, to fix social issues. So I really want to get them there. Yes. Same, same, same. I cannot agree more. Oh my goodness. And here is our last question. We actually ask every guest in every series, this question, it's um, one that we love from an author and it can be serious. Your answer can be small. It can be puppies. It can be ponies, whatever you want. Um, Here's the question. (laughs) What is saving your life right now? (laughs) We have everything from my children to pickles. So I was say, honestly, like summer parties with my friends and a good, good summer rosé. <laughs> oh yes. That's my favorite summer drink. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, that's a good answer. I love it so much. Um, so I am so happy to have met you, Sarah. I am I'm so inspired by your work. I love your story. I find you this amazing mix of transparent and really inspiring, which sometimes those don't marry well. Sometimes you get one or the other, but, um, thank you for leading with honesty and humility, but also with enthusiasm and joy that is incredibly effective. And it's just exciting to watch you go. So thanks for sharing your work with my listening community. And I can't wait for them to know you more, um, and to follow you. And, um, I think you're just fabulous. Thanks for being on. Oh, I really appreciate it. It's been a blast. And thank you for what you are doing, Jen. Like it's such important work to help people sort of see that they can be more than they may even believe. So keep doing more is all I have to say. (laughs) Thanks, Sarah. Okay. See you. Okay. So I just completely enjoyed that conversation. I felt her energy and zest for life kind of at every point during that interview. I am really glad to introduce you to her and her really outstanding work in the world. So as always, everything we talked about, Sarah's socials, her book, her resources, we will have linked over on the transcript page at jenhatmaker.com under podcast, um, which of course, Amanda also will have provided for you the entire written transcript, bonus pictures, bonus content, all of it. That is that's your one-stop shop for any podcast that you want more information on, that you want to do a deep dive on, that you would like to cut and paste some parts from, or just reread. Um, I hope, definitely hope you're using that resource. Um, okay, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing, by the way. Keep subscribing. That's great for podcasts and it's great for you. You don't have to remember this. Um, all you have to do is take five seconds to subscribe and our little show will just pop up on your phone every week. And it's just that simple for you. And as always, we love to bring you good content, good guests, 
great series. This is just too much fun. It's too much fun. It just doesn't feel like a real job. And so um, thanks for being great listeners and being loyal and sharing your favorite podcasts. That just means so much to us. And we're always listening to you and always thankful for your feedback. And so thanks for giving it, you guys. Um, much more to come in this outstanding series on powerhouse women. I mean, it could just go on forever, just forever. We are surrounded by such amazing talent right now. It's just a good time to be alive. So thanks for joining us and I'll see you next week. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.